Thanks. Um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 33, and we're continuing to look at the life of Jacob, and we're in Genesis chapter 33 this morning. Jacob looked up and there, were, there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young, if they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of, their, of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukoth. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he brought from the sons of Amor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Amen. And we thank God for his word. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open, although um, I'll be giving a bit of an, an overview of this passage today. And let me just as we begin, let's 
Let's again just pray. Let's pray. Lord, in our own weakness of being able to, to see and understand and uh, see what your word means to each of us, it's, it's you, Lord, that by your spirit that you might take your, your words and, and, and bring them to our hearts, make it real and make it live to us, Lord, we, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, there's a, a whole industry out there which is designed uh, around enabling you to meet your goals and your, your targets. Um, I was thinking there just a few moments ago with, with myself and Jackie is that we begin to, to realize is that we could both do with maybe losing a bit around the middle. And uh, apparently what we need to do with that is to know exactly what the end goal is. So you need to know that by six months time, I want to be 10 stone six, or I wanna be size 10. But you also have to know from where it is that you're actually beginning, so where you're starting, so that you can, you can see that you've been making progress. And as well as that, they say that if you're going to meet your targets, and uh, you, you have to avoid triggers now, what I guess they mean by things like that is that that means when you don't walk past a chip van when you're hungry. Uh, or, or also even along the idea is that you have to have a sense of what was going on in your life before the last time maybe you failed or you, or you fell or you fell flat and it didn't work out for you that maybe there's just, it's just something psychological that, that's going on and you have to have an, an appreciation of what was going on in your life so that you, that's making you more liable to fall when these same sort of circumstances happen. Which opens up the, the whole question at times is how realistic is permanent change? And if we bring that maybe even more specifically down to the, the spiritual realm, questioning the thought, how realistic is real, lasting, spiritual change? Now, we all long to be changed, I would believe, and to be different from, from what we are. And we were looking at that in, in, in some aspects last week. And as I've prayed about this passage and how I might approach this today, I have been drawn again to this aspect of Jacob that I can only describe Jacob uh, as being, in terms of a, of a disciple, very much up and down. And he, he's a man who was forever falling on his face, lapsing, as it were, in, into what we might say is a former life. And that's not that this is the only thing that's in this passage, because if we, you look at this passage, you see a wonderful account of reconciliation. You see that even though he was anxious about his brother, uh, Esau, and they thought that Esau was, was maintaining this animosity towards him. But what we actually see in this account is, is Esau embracing Jacob and, and showing love and, and forgiveness and demonstrating that. And so that even when you, you look at, at for instance, verse nine, and how it's evidenced. And Esau says, what's, what's with all these gifts, all this stuff that you are throwing in my direction? You know, I have more than enough, Jacob. I don't need this from you. And verse 11, Jacob, he's responding back and he says, yeah, but God's been good to me. And if I have any favor in your sight, please do take this stuff because I've got more than enough too. And God's been gracious and, and God's been amazing. And and it might well be for, for some of us here today, this, this um, 
reconciliation. There's something that, that resonates and speaks into our hearts of, of something that either we need to do or that we need to receive from another person who, who, who would show that to us. But as I've prayed about this passage, where I feel that I've been drawn to is, is what I was saying a moment ago, but, but the way in which Jacob seems to have fallen uh, into his, his old ways so, so often. And if you can resonate with that, and it may be that you would say, all that I need to be different from what I am now is some dramatic spiritual encounter. You know, let's think Christmas cards here, and, and hopefully it's more than Santa on, on your Christmas cards. But if you have this sense of, you know, the, the, that scene of the shepherds out, out on, the, on the hills, and at one point everything's calm and everything's uh, quiet, and they're there with their sheep, and then in the next moment, it's, there's noise and it's filled and there's light and it's filled the skies. The angels are there and they're speaking God's word about, the, about this arrival of, of this child. And you might say to yourself, if only I had something as dramatic and as out of the ordinary as that, then that would really kickstart my spiritual life. I would pray at that point like I have never prayed before and I would never give up because it would be so dramatic, so different that I knew that it would have such an impact upon my life. And if that's what you think, I want you to look really hard at the life of Jacob because Jacob is a bit of a disappointment. But even as I say he's a disappointment, he's no more of a disappointment than we are because I can see myself, I'm sure you can see yourself in Jacob. We, we struggle to get warmed up spiritually, if we might put it than that. And if you want to be different from what you are, if I put it in, in those terms, then Jacob surely is your man. Last week, we've come to that point where Jacob had this dramatic spiritual encounter where, where God had again spoken to him. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means that you know he struggled with God. He he had, or or is he had seen God face to face, and even more remarkably in that in that moment, as you remember from last week, is that Jacob actually got a new name. He says, "You're no longer to be called Jacob; you're to be called Israel," which means you have struggled with God. So when God speaks. And God says, you're no longer to go by your old name, but by a new name. You would say, that's a really deep spiritual encounter. And yet, maybe what I'm going to think about just now, I could describe Jacob's discipleship. And I could say that he is pretty much a topsy-turvy type of a guy. He's up and he's down. And I'm going to describe that maybe in two or three things that's, that's in this passage. I mean, just think about, I mean, the first one is, think about the way in which his name has been used in the Bible itself, Jacob stroke Israel. There are lots of people mentioned in the Bible who've got a name change. You can think principally of his grandfather, Abram. Remember at one point, uh, God impacted his life, spoke to him, 
and says, you are no longer to be called Abram, but you will from now on, you will be called Abraham. And that change has been so decisive that for many of us, we actually forget that he was ever called Abram because all that we ever think about is he was called Abraham. And Jacob, well, it, it seems a little bit different because even after he's been called Jacob and that name change has happened, there are still times when the Bible calls him Jacob. And principally when you move to the New Testament and it talks about this God has revealed in the Old Testament, it's described as you are the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and you know what the third one is? Jacob. Now, if it's drawn to the attention to the fact that Abraham is the guy with the name change, then why not do the same for Jacob and just calling him Israel? And sometimes I, well, there can be many reasons on that, but what I'm maybe thinking about is that there's something even in the way in which Jesus changed the name of one of his disciples. Remember, Jesus changed the name of Simon. And he says, Simon, you will, you're no longer called Simon, but you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, Matthew 16 and verse 18. And yet there are times later on, even after the name change, when Jesus doesn't call him Peter, but he calls him Simon. And I think principally those are the moments when we might say that he hasn't lived up to his new name and Jesus wants to go back and remind him of this human aspect, very human, very feeble person that he really is. When he wants to emphasize that, he goes back and he says, Simon. And so when I think of the way in which Jacob's name has been used and there is this ambivalence, is that maybe it's pointing to those times when the fact that Jacob hasn't lived up to his new name. And there's another couple of times when we were reminded that he, he, he's not living in, in, in faith, but he's, he's falling a bit, as it were. Again, when he's approaching Esau and he knows that, that Esau is coming towards him and, his, and he, in faith he's wanting to step out, but he's falling back into his own old ways and he's planning and he's scheming and he splits his family up as we read in this passage and he gets the, the, the children to approach in sections as it were just in case something goes wrong and then there's possible possibility of escape for the others and we say no Jacob that's what you would have done yesterday before the name changed but now things are different You're, you should be really trusting in God and again, it's, it's, it's later on in, in his life or in, in this encounter. And there's, there's a moment at which Esau, in speaking to him, and, and Esau in verse 12 is saying, really, I want you to come and, and stay with me. Come, come to Sarah. And, he's, and there's an ambivalence in Jacob's response in that. And he, he doesn't, really want to do it, but he doesn't want to say no. And rather than being honest and trustworthy, he does what I'm going to do to Barbara. Because Barbara says, you can come for this walk on the 30th of December. And I'm going to say to you, I'm washing my hair. Now that's the same sort of answer that Jacob does in, in these moments. 
He's not being truthful. He's not being straight. And you can see, he, and, it, and it comes out of him so quickly and so naturally, he probably doesn't even know that, that he's doing it at times because he's lapsing in. And as I think about Jacob and his, what I've described here as his topsy-turvy uh, discipleship, What I really want for myself and, and for you is that we would come to the point when it comes to faith that we would own our faith. Ownership is a powerful concept. It affects how you view things. The difference maybe between renting a car on holiday and driving your own car. You will drive it differently. You'll also not care at all what the kids are doing in the back seat. You know, they can be slopping about with Coke and Fanta and doing all sorts of things in a hire car. Whereas it's your own car, you're going to get really uptight and you're going to be shouting and you don't want that. And so owning something is very, very different. And so when it comes to faith, and I'm looking at Jacob, and maybe even say, but for us, when it comes to faith, I'm going to say there's a, well, there's a multitude of responses that we could have. In some ways, yeah, we can fake faith. We, or we can borrow it. But where I want to go is to say and say is, is that really, having reflected on the life of Jacob to this point, I want to own my faith. You know, the goal in faking faith is to fool other people. That's, that's what, that's, the goal in any sort of faking's about. And, and, and when you fake faith, you appear to do all the, the right sort of things so that when people are looking at you and they're smiling at you and they think they know what you are, but inside you know that things aren't right just the way that you would want them. And the reason for that is because you realize that your faith to a large extent has just been a fake. And that's why when it's based on a lie, and it's based on something that isn't true. And so often people have faked faith to the degree that they don't even realize it anymore. And we can walk through life and because it's a fake faith, the reality is, is that we're not changed. We are numb to the things of the Spirit of God. And the reason for that is because you're trying and relying to do things on your own strength rather than in the strength of the one who is the originator of faith, the one who grants faith to you, God himself. And as well as faking faith, it could be that we simply borrow faith. And the sense of what I mean by borrowed faith is that there's someone who's had a big impact upon your life. And... They have known and loved Jesus and you can recognize that. And in some ways, you're trying to honor that, but still realizing that, that your experience of what they had is still only borrowed and that you're trying to keep them happy in that sense, but it will ultimately fail you because again, you don't have the power to be perfect and you will fail and you will fall. And ultimately your faith will have a hollow ring and this sense of being half in and half out and your experience of that is that you know that you will end up 
doing one thing but believing another, or believing one thing and doing another. You know, psychologists, I think, have a word for that where they, where they call that um, cognitive dissonance, where you, where you believe one thing but actually you do another. And for, for most people, if that's your experience of faith, it will simply result in a, in a sense of unease within you because ultimately, again, you know it's not real and it's not true and it brings drought into your life. There's chaos and there's uneasiness and there's conflict and you'll never be at peace. And what I really want from you, if it's anything that I want for you or pray for you, I should say, is that you might come to realize and recognize that what you need is to own this faith that God has placed within your life, to live it and express it, and to know that this is what Jesus Christ wants for you, to make it your own. And even though I have a very strong sense of the sovereignty of God, and that there is not one of us can come to faith unless for the fact that God has entered into that person's life, into your life, opens your eyes and draws your, you to himself, there is still a sense as I read the Bible that God is gentle with us and God woos us gently and softly to himself to that point where we come and we take faith and we claim that as our own. As our own. And he's gentle with us. He's not harsh. He, he doesn't put his hand to the back of our necks and force us to, to our knees. So I want you to be encouraged today that God is not a God who rejects you forever when you have rejected him. That he is a God in love who expresses that to you. And as maybe even reading in, in the New Testament in, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter, chapter five and verse eight, that God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And reminding ourselves of the significance of that is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we cleaned ourselves up or perfected ourselves in any, in any other way. Even when the reality is, is that we will make those lapses like Jacob. While we were still sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I want to say that if the story where we have journeyed over this past couple of months, if the story of Jacob in any way resonates with you, if you can see your experience written large in the life of Jacob, then I, what I want to remind you of is that it, it shows you your humanity your sinfulness, but it shows you also the goodness and the trustworthiness and the reliability of God himself. And that failure doesn't define you, but it is the will and the love of God and it challenges you to own your faith. But you will not own your faith until Christ fully owns you. And many Christian parents will pray for and think about their children who currently may not know and love Jesus, who may be living in a completely deni complete denial of that faith. 
And it is the confidence and the faith of the thought of the faith in which these children were raised and in the prayer and the hope that God by his spirit will bring that to life that we pray for what we might term our prodigal children. And it is standing in that and believing in that, that God can do that and make it real and that these children will own their faith. But what about ourselves? At this point, I want us to lay our our lives openly, clearly before God, maybe even as individuals here in this place. And I want to encourage you and to remind you that God holds everyone, even the Jacobs of this world. And look at how this story ends in verses 17 and verse 18. You could almost read over those verses of where Jacob has now arrived. It says, Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and he made shelters for his livestock. And that's why he called the place Succoth. And after Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan. Now we could cast our eyes over that without realizing what's happened. But what has happened? is that Jacob has arrived home. He is back in the promised land. He is back where God wants him to be. And not that God has ever left him, as we reminded ourselves last week, because God was giving him that assurance that all the time that he was physically out of the promised land, God was bookending that, as it were, and that God was with him. But now... He is rejoicing in the goodness and the faithfulness of God and he's astounded and he, and he wonders, look at my life, look at how God has blessed me. I don't deserve this, I don't need this because Jacob is aware that he is this topsy-turvy sort of a guy and that he never has been the person that he really wants to be but that he is trusting in God. And just now, Maybe individually, we just think, think this through ourselves as we pray to God and we think what we are before God. Lay our lives before God, what your life looks like right now. Maybe even thinking and reflecting in our own experience where we are out of kilter with God because we know how God has revealed himself through the Bible as we read it. We know what God wants. We we. We read our Bibles and we see what is a faithful expression of what it is to be a Christian, whether in terms of our sexual ethics or it's in terms of our morals in work and how we work and how we do all of those things. We know where our lives are out of kilter with God himself. All the evidences of our sins and our failures, the evidences of our topsy-turvy lifestyle, And where we remind ourselves is that, God, I can't do this myself, but I need you and I need your strength. And so that where sin is sin, we call it sin. And maybe not even use words like addictions, because ultimately we know that addiction is nothing other than sin itself, and we name sin. And that we realize and we trust in the Lord himself. If I go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, and for your encouragement and your confidence, that reminding ourselves is that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. You heard that? 
God has given you everything that you need in Jesus. It's not you. And even though you may feel like a Jacob and you may feel unworthy and you may feel that you can't do this, today we look to Christ and we, we ask that, that he by his spirit would fill us and so change us. And so even as we pray just now, I'm gonna invite the band wherever they are to come up and uh, they'll lead us into our next song afterwards. But as we pray just now, we will look to the Lord and we'll, and we'll pray that we might know his voice and his word to us. Let's pray. Lord, we truly may feel that we are a right Jacob. And Lord, we may feel even disappointed with ourselves. But we are thankful that we stand and we rely not upon ourselves, but upon the goodness and the graciousness of God. Your gospel, alive within our hearts by the power of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for Jesus for his forgiveness, for his strength, for his forgiveness for us. Lord, may you be the center of our day-to-day -day living, of our work, of our families, of every situation, and our following after you. Amen.